Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, a breath of fresh air, a voice of reason, this is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to be back with you. And dare I say it, happy Friday. Hope this is a good day for you, a good lead-in to a wonderful weekend. I want to begin by asking you, are you ready for the presidential season? This is 2023. And believe it or not, next year, we'll have a presidential election. I think I remember a number of conversations with people on this broadcast and beyond. People very much concerned about how campaigns seem to be 24-7, 365. It seems like we don't get out of one election before it's time to start for another one. Here we are. And I start here because we're seeing the beginning of the public aspect of President Donald Trump's campaign for 2024. And it begins in the state of South Carolina. He's going to hold his first public campaign event of the 2024 White House bid in South Dakota. Very important because it's one of those early states in the presidential contest. This event, 4 p.m. at the State House in Columbia. One of the things I'm curious about, especially for those of you in South Carolina, how many of you are planning to attend or want to attend? By the way, the former president is going to be joined by Governor Henry McMaster, Senator Lindsey Graham, members of the South Carolina Congressional Delegation, and state lawmakers. Part of the purpose behind this is to unveil his South Carolina leadership team. Now, this is kind of curious. Officials are expecting a crowd of 500. What do you think about that number? Is that the size we will see, or will there be more? I'm kind of curious as to whether we will see the same level of crowds as before. Especially curious for those of you who are ardent Trump supporters. Do you have that same passion, the passion you had before, 2016, 2020? Is it still there, or has that diminished? Campaign officials say the remarks from the South Carolina State House serve as an opportunity to exemplify the strong support from elected officials in the state as we approach the one-year mark to South Carolina's Republican presidential primary. We've started a countdown here. Now, since his announcement that he is running for president, Trump has actually limited his public campaign appearances to events at Mar-a-Lago, mainly invited crowds or in a virtual setting. The visit to South Carolina coming as Trump's campaign has faced criticism, even among some longtime allies, for its low profile since the announcement. There's really not been a lot going on there. And we've got two people in South Carolina mulling 
presidential campaigns of their own. Nikki Haley, former governor, one-time U.N. ambassador, said she would take the holiday season to consider a White House campaign. You remember hearing from her quite recently. She told the AP in 2021 she wouldn't seek the presidency if Trump were already in the race. Senator Tim Scott recently reacted to what he has said will be his final Senate term. He's been making visits in other early voting states and launched a political action committee. And there's speculation this could actually become a presidential campaign vehicle. Whether it does, that remains to be seen. So I'm curious, where are you today? Especially those of you who are Trump supporters. Are you indeed excited about this appearance? Are you planning to go to Columbia to take part in this event firsthand? And the other question I raised, those of you who have been ardent supporters, are you still there? If there's a rally, especially close, close to home, are you going to be there? Do you have the same energy you had about this man that you had in 2020 and 2016? Interesting picture painted by Reuters in New Hampshire. We talked about early states. And Reuters has uncovered the mood and atmosphere for Donald Trump up there. He trounced his Republican rivals in the 2016 primary. And at the time, it was something that was stunning. You know, people may have thought, okay, this is a joke. But by this time, he had moved on from being just a reality TV showman into being a serious contender. As you know, Trump would go on to capture the Republican nomination, then the White House. But now, as he seeks to win in 2024, he's planning to deliver a speech in New Hampshire on Saturday. He's going to find the political landscape more treacherous than he did six years ago, according to party activists. In interviews with 10 New Hampshire Republican Party officials and members, some of whom worked on Trump's 2016 primary campaign, all of whom have been staunch Trump supporters in the past, Reuters found only three who were sticking with him this time around. Just three, including the state chair, an influential Republican figure who is so enthusiastic about Trump, he's stepping down on Saturday to help his campaign. The rest cited exhaustion with Trump's controversies exasperation at the constant drama and a desire to move on from Trump's loss in 2020 with a fresh face who they thought would have a stronger chance of winning in 2024. The public souring on the former president is a troubling development for Trump. A defeat could complicate his chances of winning the party nomination for president because New Hampshire often gives a candidate momentum heading into other primary states. A lack of enthusiasm for the former president, his prospects for winning in 2024, could actually hurt Trump, because party activists do vital groundwork for candidates. These are the folks who knock on doors. They make the phone calls. They raise money and boost turnout. 
Most of the New Hampshire party members who had cooled on Trump said they would prefer Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as the party's standard bearer, although DeSantis has not yet said if he's going to launch a White House bid. Brian Solomon, 60-year-old, a Hillsborough County Republican committee member, he backed Trump in the 2016 primary. He said Donald Trump right now is a distraction for the Republican Party in trying to go forward. Donald Trump has run his course. He likes Trump's policies, applauds his achievements in office, but now says he's got so much baggage. I don't think he has what it takes to win the White House again. The three Republicans still backing Trump said his voting base in New Hampshire remains enthusiastic. He's got formidable name recognition, and many Republican voters like his policy achievements while in office, giving him a strong record to run on, unlike the other potential candidates. So what do you think? What are your thoughts? Especially those of you in South Carolina. If you're north of the border, you can comment as well. (laughs) Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Before the break, I asked about the mood, the atmosphere, especially among Trump supporters. Those of you who have supported him in the past, where are you today? Over on the text line, I'm not able to attend, but many of us are wondering why he's going to have Lindsey Graham there. Oh, come on. You know Lindsey Graham, the suck-up. It worked, too. (laughs) I voted for Trump four times, twice in the primaries, twice in the general. I will not vote for him in the primary again, but will in the general, if necessary. I don't like him personally, but he has the right conservative ideas. We have this in the upstate. I'm a Trump supporter. However, he needs to stop. Stay in Florida. I'm waiting on DeSantis. My husband and I are driving his truck down tomorrow. And it's six Trump 2024 flags and signs on the back of it. Well, there's a true fan right there. Trump plus a non-rhino, yes. Trump plus a swamp person, I am done with him. Okay. (laughs) Vince, I'm not going. I think there will be more than 500 people there. A lot more. You can't campaign against the swamp, then turn around and have them on stage with you. (laughs) Hmm. Folks, this hasn't changed. This isn't new. It's kind of bizarre, but nonetheless. Let us see what else we have here expressing views about 2024. Vince, I honestly wanted DeSantis as the leader of the Republican Party as the President of the United States. I voted for Trump the past two times. If he's our primary candidate, he will get my vote for the third time. Trump 2024, DeSantis 2028, if that is the case. Most Trump supporters like myself don't have the same energy we had in 2020 because of January 6th and his recent statement supporting Mike Pence. Wow, this there are so many nuances and positions like that is bizarre to me. Now, for those of you not familiar 
the issue with Mike Pence over the classified documents, I think there are people who were hoping that Donald Trump would take the opportunity to just take him down. And in fact, he has expressed support and said he's a good man. Now, my own, I've got a theory on that. And my theory is, I don't think he sees Mike Pence as a threat at all. I mean, uh, let's be honest. Mike Pence is about as inspiring as, um, let's see, who is the guy who was the teacher on Ferris Bueller's day off? <laughs> Seriously. I, I, he has nothing to fear from Mike Pence. Nothing at all. <laughs> this person says, boy, oh boy, I can't wait to refill my Kool-Aid pitcher. <laughs> that is pretty clever. Vince, don't you think a Trump Marjorie Taylor Greene ticket in 2024 would win in a landslide? Yeah, right. Trump is a distraction that will hinder Republicans from unifying around a single candidate's giving Democrats yet another win. Vince, I'm ready to move forward from Donald Trump because of some of the same concerns that you have. I'd love to see a Ron DeSantis presidency. But if Trump ends up being the nominee, I'll vote for him. Did a better job with our economy and foreign policy. He would definitely be a lot better than the alternative. That is from Jeff. Vince, great show. I think DeSantis is all Trump is and all Trump isn't. Trump will just damage our chances of winning the presidency. I don't think he can win. I think this train has come and gone. For the sake of humanity, no more Trump. Please, no more Biden. Buffoons. <laughs> just a sampling of some of the items over on the text line. Let's go out to a call from Frankie, who is in the sprawling metropolis of Gastonia. Good morning, Frankie. Hey, Vince, you have a great show, by the way. Well, thank you. Well, listen, um, yeah, I voted for Trump twice. I won't be voting for him again. I think that uh, there's a scripture, and Paul's talking to a group of people. I don't know if it's the Philippians or whatever in the Bible, where they started out in the Spirit, and then they started getting back into the flesh. And that's, you know, many people were praying and, and get behind Trump that way, and, and now it just seems like if he's, I think he lost the election by himself by getting back into the flesh and trying to push things around the way he did with the Georgia thing. And I, he, he just doesn't stop. You know, he doesn't turn the other cheek. And there's just so many things. And I, I know he's done a lot of great things, but he, he's, he's, I just got a feeling he's just going to mess it up again. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, appreciate your call there, Frankie. By the way, we haven't discussed it here. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it at some point. I, I don't even know how energized or intrigued I am about it. But the evangelical community is very cool on Trump this time around. Frankly, Graham making clear he's not going to endorse Trump or anybody else in the primary, which is telling because he was all in back in 2016. So that's going to be interesting to see who actually gets the alleged evangelical vote. Let's go out to Brandon out of York County. Good morning, Brandon. Hi, Vince. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I voted for Donald Trump in both 2016 and 2020, but I think his hold over the GOP has waned a lot. And I believe that Ron DeSantis will be the GOP nominee in 2024. 
with Tulsi Gabbard as his vice president. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Tulsi Gabbard, really? You know, she's um, still a lefty, even though she's she's not as crazy. Party and left um, to become an independent. Right. Uh, still very much uh, on the left, but but I, I understand your sentiment. I'm curious, how does this play out? I want to know from you, Brandon, how this plays out. How early are we going to get an indication as to whether Donald Trump is going to be able to get traction like he did before? How soon are we going to know? It will probably be Iowa, maybe South Carolina. But watch Florida very closely if DeSantis decides to go in. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you're saying next year. You think this is going to be something where the president's going to run hard this year, and we're not going to know until next year whether others are in and whether uh, this campaign's actually viable. Exactly. There okay. might be some more who come in later this summer, towards the fall, but it's really going to pick up towards November 2023. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, Brendan, appreciate your call out of York County this morning. I've got, you know, I'm offering all kinds of theories this morning. I think part of what's going on with Ron DeSantis, I think he's going to watch and wait and see what happens with the Trump campaign. Because would it not be a better scenario for him if he doesn't get in, he just stays on the sidelines and watches the potential of Trump imploding and then jumps in. I mean, why get in and get bloodied right now? What's the point? That's one perspective on this. Coming up, we'll get more of your opinions on this subject. Also talk about Democrats, some who are looking beyond Joe Biden. Boy, what a surprise. We'll talk about that and much more as we continue our Friday broadcast. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program on this Friday. Uh, this is really, uh, I think, very telling text. <laughs> Another part of me is like, folks, this is not any different than 2016 or 2020. With all of these folks who learn to suck up to Donald Trump at the right time. This texter saying, I don't know if I'm going to vote for Trump again. I was really hoping he had learned his lesson with people he surrounded himself with. But if he's going to have Lindsey Graham there, it makes me wonder. Lindsey Graham has been there. This really isn't a change at all. What I think is interesting is that now that the other things have basically taken Trump down a few notches, I think people are paying closer attention to things that have been there all along. This is not new. Not new at all. Let's talk about Democrats. Political has a story about some names you're probably going to hear in the future. And they are based on events that have happened in state capitals. The name's Josh Shapiro. Josh Shapiro is one of those names. This guy, 
took the oath of office last week on a stack of scripture that included a Hebrew type Bible from Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Synagogue, site of the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in American history. Invoking his Jewish faith in his inaugural address. More memorable on a brisk but not bitter day outside Pennsylvania's grand capital was what happened when the St. Thomas Gospel Choir from Philadelphia performed Lift Every Voice and Sing. Shapiro sang along with them, mouthing the lyrics to the black national anthem from heart while unabashedly rocking back and forth on both legs. This guy's figured it out already, hasn't he? Knowing the words to that song. The next day, outside Maryland's history-drenched state house in Annapolis, it was Oprah Winfrey who left many attendees, and perhaps even a few locals, starstruck. Winfrey is the guy, is the, the guy. Winfrey is the person who introduced Governor Wes Moore, the state's first black governor. Only the third ever elected African-American governor. However, the more revealing presence on stage may have been that of somebody few recognized. Lieutenant Colonel Jamie Martinez. Martinez took the microphone to remind an audience that included Eric Holder, Chris Tucker, and Cal Ripken. The 44-year-old Moore isn't just a political phenom. He was also a fellow soldier from the 82nd Airborne who led troops in Afghanistan. Looks like a couple of people who are building some strong resumes. Political reports both new governors reached deep into their state's past to evoke America's promise and trumpet their own. Shapiro recalled William Penn's credo of religious tolerance. Moore reminded his audience that while they stood just up the hill from docks where slaves were brought, the inauguration was no indictment of the past, but rather a celebration of our collective future. Boy, that's a great message. That's a great message. It all felt like a highly choreographed preview of future ambitions, campaigns, and perhaps swearing ends. Eric Holder told the reporter for Politico, this will not be the only inauguration with him we go to. He said of Moore, he's got that thing. As Democrats bemoan their political bench, there's a frequent glasses half-empty refrain about the most often mentioned prospects waiting behind the 80-year-old in the White House. Kamala Harris can't win a general election. Pete Buttigieg can't win a primary. And there's no way Michelle Obama's going to run. Or will she? Senators Mark Kelly, Raphael Warnock, an actual astronaut and an actual pastor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s Ebenezer Baptist Church, paired their Sterling bios with a demonstration of their electoral chops winning in a pair of formerly red states that just now happen to be political presidential backgrounds. In another show of strength, Governor Gretchen Whitmer won re-election. That was in Michigan. Ten points 
on the electoral map. Then there are the three new Democrat governors from the Northeast, Shapiro, Moore, and Mara Heasley out of Massachusetts, who all thrashed MAGA. <laughs> I love how this guy describes the candidates, the Republicans, MAGAfied Republicans. They were all born after 1970 and all have law enforcement or military credentials. Now, which of them would be willing to run or viable if they did? Should President Biden change course and not seek re-election? That's another story. But there's no lack of traffic at the foot of that bridge. The presidential landscape could see a new generation of Democrats. I'm curious, what do you think of these new names, these new folks? I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. And honestly, I don't rule out somebody runs against Biden. Especially if he falters significantly over the next year. It will be very interesting to see if there's anyone who sees such a weakened Joe Biden that they decide to jump in. <laughs> I love this text. Vince, Raphael Warnock, an actual pastor... That apostate supports abortion. Well, of course. <laughs> also on the text line, I voted for Trump. I really hope he does not run again. He's damaged goods, be it fair or unfair. It is a reality. I prefer another Republican. Whoever that will be, I will vote for that person over any Democrat. Trump needs to remember what Lindsey Graham said toward Trump. He can go to hell. Really? It's funny to listen to all the butthurt people who don't like President Trump, but like all the great things he did for the country. In my humble opinion, these people are just not too smart. Put your little crybaby ways aside <laughs> and vote for the person who's going to be the best for our country. President Trump has a proven track record that shows he can do for our country. You do great things for our economy. And our country on the world stage. Hashtag Trump 2024. That's Ron who has written that in. Interesting. What are your thoughts on the Democrat landscape? Do you think Biden runs again? And if not, who among these people we mentioned emerges as the heir apparent to Joe Biden? Also coming up, we're going to talk about the Panthers. Big developments there. And... In many ways, surprising development. That much more as we continue the broadcast. Stay with us. And we take a little break from the political discussion, which we'll get back to in the next hour, if time permits. Talk about what's happened with the Carolina Panthers. We now have Frank Reich, who's been now announced as the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. I don't know about you. I'm not a person who follows the NFL, but I will say I'm kind of surprised the timing of this announcement. I think I may not be the only person who is surprised by this. And I have seen a lot of social media over the last 24 hours of people who are really ticked off that Steve Wilkes has basically been thrown under the bus here. So, 
Wanted to get some insight on all of this. Who else do we go to but our good friend, Chris McClain, Mac Attack from WFNZ. Uh, good morning. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing good, Vince. How you been, man? Hey, doing pretty well. Uh, so uh, am, is this a sentiment? Am, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing out there, is this pretty much what you're seeing and hearing? Yeah, I mean, we just did four hours, right, over on FNZ, and it's pretty much, you know, full tilt, wall-to-wall. How do you feel about the new coach, Frank Reich, and how do you feel about the fact that Steve Wilkes did not get the chance to be the full-time coach? And, I mean, there are people passionate on either side. I kind of look at it like I feel like both these things can be true, Vince. I feel like you can look at the Frank Reich hire and try to look at it in a vacuum and just – is he a guy that's had three winning seasons in Indy in his first four years there? What went wrong there, I don't think is his fault. They never gave him stability at quarterback, and he still found a way to have three winning seasons. Like I think Frank Reich is a good hire, especially if we're going to go out and get a young quarterback. I think he's a good guy to kind of groom a young quarterback. But I also think on the flip side, though, if you're just looking at that and not acknowledging what happened to Steve Wilkes, like, I, I, I'm not with you on that. Like I feel like you also have to acknowledge that Steve Wilkes in his own right, too, did enough, I thought, to be the head coach of this football team. So I think the Panthers be all right moving forward. It's just hard for me to get past the sting of class act, Charlotte guy, Steve Wilkes, who completely revitalized that locker room, gave them an identity to coach rule in two-plus years, could never do, uh, re-energized our fan base, um, and just that he's not going to get an opportunity. It just kills me, man. It really does. But if you ask me to, to, to say, okay, does that mean Frank Reich stinks as a hire? No, I actually think he's a solid hire. But it's going to take time, I think, for fans to get over what happened with Wilkes. Yeah, this is just a sampling. Uh, I extracted these from social media. My friend Daryl said the Panthers organization is such a complete disappointment. Coach Wilkes was absolutely disrespected. Jedediah, if you support the Panthers after this move, I have no words for you. Frank Reich is a middle-of-the-road hire. Even though I personally didn't care for Wilkes, I do know he's deserving of a shot. Um, that's just a sampling of what I have seen um, just in the last little while. So we move ahead, and what can we expect? What are we going to see that's different from what we see now in a Coach Wilkes? Well, it's it's and, and this is why the move was made, and I don't like it either, but David Tepper has been dead set on this coach being an offensive-minded head coach. It's something actually Carolina Panthers have never had, and it is, I mean, you look around the NFL, I would say 70%. Are probably come from offensive backgrounds where they were offensive assistants before they were head coaches. It's the trend in the league. Seven of the last eight playoff teams alive uh, last weekend had offensive coaches. So I understand that. I just feel like what Steve Wilkes did called for kind of maybe like a break. Uh, you know, just I thought it was extraordinary circumstances that somebody could completely turn around a locker room and a team and create a culture and identity that quickly. I thought maybe he should have broke with his desire for an offensive coach. He didn't. And I think, and I really do wonder, Vince, did Steve Wilkes ever really have a chance? Were they just kind of going through these interviews, you know, just to kind of make it look like they gave him a fair chance? Because ultimately, he wanted an offensive guy. And that is what Dave, Te- Dave Tepper hopes. I would think they draft a quarterback in the first round this year. And this is the guy he wants to groom. And I think David Tepper looks at the numbers. Most, you know, most successful teams nowadays have an offensive-minded coach. But it's tough. I get why he did it. But, man, Steve Wilkes did something really special. He did. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm curious about, uh, when we see the uh, the beginning, you know, beyond the announcements and all the hype associated with that, what do you expect to see early on? 
uh, out of new leadership? What, what what kinds of things is he going to target? What do you expect him to make? Uh, you know, sort of moves will he make as priorities early on? Well, he's, he's putting together the staff is going to be really interesting. His defensive coordinator is going to be a really interesting choice. How accomplished is that guy? Who does he end up bringing in here? Because, again, he's kind of an offensive side of the ball guy. So, you know, that young defense has some, has some young studs, talent, Who's going to be leading them moving forward? That's going to be important. Um, I know he was talking to the folks at Panthers.com saying that David Tepper has assured him you will, you will have a chance to put together an elite staff. So I think that means some of, you know, Daddy Warbucks' money over there, some of David Tepper's <laughs> money, which, which there's no salary cap on, on coaching salaries. So that would be nice. Um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, though, uh, who he puts together. And then the next step, Vince, is the same thing we talk about every offseason since Cam had a shoulder problem, right? Yep. Who is the quarterback we're going to go yes. get? And I hope this year it's a young guy in the draft and not, a, not another retread, yeah. you know. From, I'm, I'm you fully know, that with you. You're thrown away by somebody else. I hope it's our own young guy to develop. Yeah, that's, it's going to be a great opportunity to, to uh, see that happen. Uh, Chris McClain, Mac Attack WFNZ, thanks a lot for joining us on the broadcast this morning and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon, sir. Thanks, Vince. Have a good weekend, man. Hey, you as well. Still ahead... It's weekend time, right? Coming up, we've got Faith Focus Friday. And we'll also delve into an exercise in ignorance. You'll really love this one. (laughs) Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, a breath of fresh air, a voice of reason, this is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Hour number two of our broadcast. Glad you are with us. Getting the perspectives on new coaching at Carolina Panthers. It's going to make a big difference. Do you have any sense of optimism about this? Love to get your thoughts on the text line, Vince. So the Panthers' next move, try to figure out their next young quarterback. My Chicago Bears hold the first overall draft pick. I say, let's make a deal and a trade since the Panthers have a lot of draft capital to work with. I'll take an extra second and third pick this year. And a first-rounder next year. Let's shoot. (laughs) That is from Jeff. (laughs) We also have this. We do not tune in to hear about football or the Panthers. God bless. That is from Dixie. Okay. (laughs) A couple of perspectives offered here on the broadcast. Want to jump into Faith Focus Friday. It's very short. And it's kind of interesting to me that um, I mentioned to you some days ago uh, about the loss of my friend Don Atkin. One of the legacies of my friendship with Don Atkin is the number of people I have met as a result of knowing Don. I, I, so at some point, I need to make a list of the people who have really been such a blessing to me and it all started with don i met don and as a result of the confident the conferences they used to hold here uh just met so many people who have impacted me tremendously one of those people is sj hill he 
used to live here in the Charlotte area, has since moved away. But I want to share a post from him, which I think speaks to something very important about our spiritual walk. And it relates to what he calls orphan thinking. Orphan thinking. I have to tell you that throughout much, most of my life, this is what I found among so many professing Christians. And it's sad, it's unfortunate, because it's really not the purpose of God. Here's what SJ has to say. Orphan thinking imagines God as a hard taskmaster who always has to be appeased. You know, the whole idea of God's angry. And I've got to, I better do right. I better walk the line. Or he's going to strike me. How many of you have grown up with that perspective? How many of you are hearing those kinds of messages now? Whether internally or externally. SJ goes on, orphan thinking motivates us to relate to God by adhering to certain religious rules and regulations. Orphan thinking even makes us believe that we have to have it together spiritually in order to be fully accepted by God. But the more we see God as our loving Father, we'll come to realize His love for us will never be based on what we do for Him. Never. Instead of striving as orphans to earn His approval, as sons and daughters, we'll be able to rest in the fact that we are fully and completely loved and accepted. And he ends by saying, live loved. It's really that simple. That's the starting place. So I want to appeal to you, especially if you're a person. This is your mindset. You need to marinate in God's love, not just as a concept, but to marinate in his love and recognize that there is nothing to be earned. Zero. Hope that is helpful for you, as that theme has been helpful to me over the years. So, let's have a little fun <laughs> dealing with ignorance, ignorance on the bench. Now, I'm just asking you a question. If you're a judge and you're looking for a position higher up, let's say you're a district judge, you're looking to move up the chain and get a, you know, get on a trajectory of potentially being on the Supreme Court one day. What is the most important thing for you to understand? Our, you know, our legal system, the multitude of laws, or is it not a good starting place to have a firm grasp on our founding documents? I mean, that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? To have a firm understanding of the Declaration of Independence, of our Constitution. Wouldn't it be, you know, a good thing to know what's in these documents? So if somebody comes to you and asks, hey, what, is, what does this say? What does this mean? You can give an intelligent answer. And you would think somebody who's been on the bench for a while is someone who would be able to do that. You'd like to think so. Enter Judge Charnel Belkindrin. I hope I'm pronouncing 
her name correctly, Bill Kindred. What you're going to hear is a piece of audio from a nomination process. This person is a Spokane County Superior Court judge. And she would like to serve as the U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Washington. So she provided testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And she ran into one Senator John Kennedy, who raised questions during the hearing. Now, I just want you to listen. Forget about partisan labels. I want you to listen and tell me what you think of this exchange. Here it is. Judge on the far end. Uh, tell, tell me what Article 5 of the Constitution does. Article 5 is not coming to mind at the moment. Okay. How about Article 2? Neither is Article 2. Okay. Do you know what purposivism is? Um, in my 12 years as an assistant attorney general huh? and my nine years serving as a judge, I was not faced with that precise question. Um, we are the highest trial court in Washington state, so I'm frequently faced with um, issues that I'm not familiar with, and I thoroughly review the law, our research, and apply the law to the facts presented to me. Well, you're going to be faced with it as a, if you're confirmed. I can assure you of that. My goodness. By the way, Article 5 of the Constitution outlines the process for amending the Constitution. Article 2 outlines the executive powers vested in the President of the United States. Pretty important things to know, don't you think? Kennedy again left the Gonzaga University School of Law graduates stumped when they asked her to define purposivism, which is a form of statutory interpretation that maintains the legal effort of a statute should be determined by the objective purpose of the statute. I just want you to understand this is what Joe Biden <laughs> has in mind for judges. I'm just telling you, this is not a good sign. This is not a good look at all. Do you think she should have known better? I'd love to get your thoughts as we continue our Friday broadcast. Stay with us. <laughs> all right, in the previous segments, you heard the exchange between... Judge Charnel Belkindren and the always entertaining Senator John Kennedy out of Louisiana. Very disturbing exchange. Over on the text line, we have this. Vince, how did this dumbass get a law degree? <laughs> the other person would like to know, can she give us the definition of woman? Probably not. Vince, she's consistent with other Biden selections. Prodigiously incompetent. We also have this. Oh, hell, Vince. You didn't know that crap either. You looked it up last night after you heard it. And then want to come back after you looked it up. 
like you know something. <laughs> I, I'm being honest, folks. I'm not a legal expert, but I expect legal experts to know the law, know the Constitution. It's kind of basic. That's all I'm saying. Have you ever had to make a speech and the things you meant to say left you? Give her a break, Vince. (laughs) Just a sampling of some of the items on the text line in response to what we shared in the previous hour. Oh, man. I am very careful here on this broadcast. I'm not a person who is into panic porn, and I'm not starting today. I do think it's interesting, a story in the UK Daily Mail about one major world organization expressing concerns about and urging countries to prepare for the possibility of nuclear war. Yes. So who's involved in this? The World Health Organization. They have issued guidance on how to survive a nuclear catastrophe. As you know, there's heightened concern about this. And the heightened concern is associated with the events in Ukraine. You know, we've talked about the growing escalation. We've got the Ukrainians who are getting tanks. Now they're asking for F-15s. A lot of people watching this and saying, you know, this is a train wreck. We're heading down a path that could end up in nuclear war. Volodymyr Zelensky has again ruled out peace talks with Vladimir Putin. So now the World Health Organization has updated its list of medications to stockpile for radiological or nuclear emergencies. This comes just hours after the EU warned Russia is at war with the West. Hmm. WHO has issued guidance on how to survive a nuclear catastrophe in a new report warning against intentional uses of radioactive materials with malicious intent. The report published as the specter of nuclear war looms over the world after the West supplied state-of-the-art tanks to Ukraine to the fury of Vladimir Putin. The Kremlin accused NATO of a blatant provocation and threatened a global catastrophe in response to the deal pretty extreme the secretary general of the european union said putin had moved from a concept or special operation to a concept now or a war against nato in the west adding the eu is not looking to escalate hostilities but it's just giving the possibility of saving lives and allowing the ukrainians to defend themselves from these barbaric attacks Dr. Maria Nira, who is the acting assistant director general of the World Health Organization, warned that many governments today are not prepared for a nuclear radiation disaster. She said in radiation emergencies, people may be exposed to radiation at doses ranging from negligible to life-threatening. And she's calling on governments to make treatments available for those in need. Fast. Fast. Direct quote here, it's essential. Governments are prepared to protect the health of populations and respond immediately to emergencies. This includes having ready supplies of life-saving medicines that will reduce risks and treat injuries from radiation. 
Now, I dare say, you're probably not going to see or hear much discussion about this. WHO outlines that a national stockpile normally includes PPE, trauma kits, fluids, antibiotics, and painkillers. But the health body said many countries still lack the essential elements of preparedness for radiation emergencies. For its part, the Kremlin said the U.S. actually holds the key to ending the war in Ukraine, but refuses to use it. Dmitry Peskov accused Joe Biden of pumping weapons into Ukraine when he could instead be instigating a ceasefire. By the way, Germany and the U.S. announced Wednesday, we discussed that here, that the two countries would send advanced battle tanks to Ukraine, offering what one expert called an armored punching force to help Kiev break combat stalemates as the Russian invasion enters its 12th month. 12 months, ladies and gentlemen. And I can't help but to remember the analyst who was a guest, I can't remember which network, but this guy was absolutely adamant. He was adamant that this thing was going to be over quick, that the Russians would make short work of Ukraine, and all of the conversation about resisting, it was just a waste of time. It was a joke. Well, now here we are about to enter into month number 12. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I want to talk in the final time we have here about a battle that is raging in Florida and across the country. We've had plenty of conversations here about CRT. Uh, I want to make very clear, lest anybody misunderstand my position on this. I would love for us to have comprehensive studies of America, American history. Comprehensive. So it doesn't matter what race, what gender. Let's put it all. Let's put it all out there. Now, I'm, I'm not against specialties of studies. If you want to study, you know, Ukrainian Americans, great. You want to study African Americans, great. There's a place for studies of this type. There's not a place for politics. There's not a place for propaganda. If you can teach African American studies without teaching CRT, I'm all for it. But I suspect that's not the case, what's going on here. Axios reporting that Florida students are threatening to sue Ron DeSantis over an AP African American Studies course. And now they've got a big name behind them. I'll bet you remember Ben Crump. He's the ambulance chaser, or should I say cop car chaser, who has gotten involved in a number of these cases where people on people have been killed or injured or or in some way allegedly harmed at the hands of police i was just thinking this morning this guy is i'm sure making a fortune no doubt about it well he has now jumped in on this african american studies issue So Ben Crump has joined Florida students announcing they're going to sue the state and the Republican Governor Ron DeSantis if they don't reinstate the African-American Studies course in the Advanced Placement Curriculum. 
We're going to talk about this and another development in another part of the country on this same subject as we continue our Friday broadcast. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. is the Vince Coakley radio program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing talk line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning text line at 71307. Now back to Vince. And over on that text line, we were talking about African-American studies This texture says you've been indoctrinated as to what we're supposed to believe as black men and how history was. Wake your ass up. Our religion, our culture, and everything was taken from us. And we were taught on how and what to believe. Speak for yourself. I'm just asking. Do you... What is it that you think I am supposed to believe? And this probably is not a text. It's a call. So I strongly encourage you to make that call. We can have that conversation. Also on the text line, response to Faith Focus Friday. I realize that God's love for us is in no way dependent on us. And we as humans don't understand what kind of love in general. When we tell someone that, well, where is the rest of this? I love you. What we're really saying is, you make me happy since I've since worked to view God and how I feel about him through this prism and now have a much better understanding with God and an understanding of who he is at Stan out of Fort Mill. Very good text here. Took a little bit to work through the different lines and a broken up text here. We also have this. Someone making reference to the Black National Anthem. Let us see where this begins. Funny timing on CRT events. I checked on my 7th grade daughter studying last night for a test. I looked what the subject was. It was for English language and arts. She was studying the two brothers that wrote and composed the Black National Anthem. She's learning about all about it. I've never heard it. heard of it. Until last year, I then asked my daughter if she could tell me who wrote the National Anthem. She could not. If you're going to teach the history of the Black National Anthem, add it on to the rest of what has been taught over the last 100 years. The official National Anthem, that is for blacks, whites, yellow, red, rainbow, if you identify that way. Have a great weekend, Vince. And I understand the point that's being made here. Is we cannot neglect the foundations to focus on the specific angles or specialties or special emphases by certain groups. And I would agree. Let's put all of it in there. Nothing wrong with that at all. All important parts of our history. 
So before the break, I was telling you about how a lawsuit is going to be filed to counteract the actions of Governor Ron DeSantis. He wants to see an end to African-American studies. Ben Crump saying, if the governor allows the College Board to present AP African-American studies in classrooms across the state of Florida, we will feel no need to file this historic lawsuit. However, if he rejects the free flow of ideas and suppresses African-American studies, we're prepared to take this controversy all the way to the United States Supreme Court. By the way, the Florida State Board of Education unanimously approved an amendment back in 2021 that banned critical race theory which links racial discrimination to the nation's foundations and legal system in a move backed by DeSantis. The state's education commissioner last week tied the AP course to CRT, tweeting, the department had rejected an AP course filled with critical race theory and other obvious violations of Florida law. If that's there, I do not disagree with this decision at all. Community leaders and state lawmakers have criticized the decision to get rid of the curriculum. Some speakers at a stop the black attack. Please. <laughs> Voting rights rally in the state's capital, Tallahassee, accused DeSantis of trying to further marginalize Florida's black community. State Senator Shervin Jones said DeSantis should fix issues like Florida's crumbling schools. But these are being ignored because we have to deal with the promotion of Jim Crow 3.0 by people who don't know and don't care about what's happening in black communities. But they desire to referee how you teach our history. State Senator Michelle Rayner said DeSantis is on a political witch hunt. And there are 2.8 million students sitting in Florida public schools right now knowing their governor does not want them to learn about black history. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think there is a distinction, as I'm describing, between teaching black history and teaching CRT? I believe there is a distinction. And I understand the concern of the governor, which is appropriate. Well, let's go to another part of the country in Illinois. The governor there, J.B. Pritzer, has called for AP courses that teach. Are you ready for this? Because it's not enough just to teach black American history. We've got to teach black queer American history. In response to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis rejecting AP classes about black Americans. <sighs> this, folks, this is tiresome, isn't it? So, Governor Pritzer hit back against DeSantis in a letter to the college board that called for them to resist the Republican governor's political grandstanding. I'm writing to you today to urge the college board, college board to preserve the fundamental right to an education that does not follow the political grandstanding of Governor DeSantis and the whims of Republicans in Florida. I'm extremely troubled by recent reports that claim Governor DeSantis is pressuring the College Board to change the AP African American Studies course in order to fit Florida's racist and homophobic laws. See, I've just got to tell you, I'm just being honest with you. Now, whenever I hear anybody use these words, racist and homophobic, I turn off. I really do. 
And the reason I turn off is because most of the time these folks have no idea what they're talking about. I saw something else this morning kind of disturbed me. This is someone who I've met, and they posted this on social media. It's just another example. And, and let me just tell you, folks, you're not going to overcome ignorance with more ignorance. I'm against violence against anybody. But this is just really stupid. Are you ready for this? This, again, is something somebody posted on social media. This person is obviously gay. The biggest danger of taking your child to a drag show is that a Christian could show up with a gun. This is sad, folks. Because this is how far people have stooped. So we get into exaggerations of what other people believe. People we do not know. But this is what happens, unfortunately, in an atmosphere that encourages ignorance. Ignorance is what has empowered the political process that we now find ourselves in. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, final stretch of the broadcast on this Friday. We have this. Why don't we just teach all history under one umbrella instead of teaching it based on a lens as viewed by specific groups? And what about the history through the lens of all the other groups that was tried before in Western Europe? We all know how that turned out. Vince, I'm Christian and I own guns. It's never crossed my mind to show up at a drag show. I'm too busy doing, quote, Christian things with my family, I guess. <laughs> Most people are just minding their business, right? Sadly, more and more, it's apparent this country is run on ignorance via leaders through all strata of society, politics, education, health care, etc. It's just tragic. It is tragic. Let us take a look at the day in history, shall we? We have a total of, wow, 11, 11 items. I'm not going to put all of these in a form of questions. Well, that's good, because after hearing that judge, I'm a little nervous. Ah. Imagine you become a judge, and that's how smart you got to be to get in a position to convince everyone you're stupid in five seconds. My goodness. All just goes downhill. And you got got to be careful. Short period of time, you're right. Tear a tree down fast. Yeah. 1862 is the year this president issued General War Order Number 1. The year should give away who this president is, 1862. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. You are correct. We go next to 18 years later, 1880. This person granted a patent for his incandescent light bulb. Edison. Thomas Edison is correct. 1939. Well, this is another one, a key one that we understand by the year this president approved the sale of warplanes to help out France 
1939 is the year. So, uh, Roosevelt. You are correct. It's FDR. 1943, this guy would go on to be president of the United States, probably the most popular president of our lifetimes. He served in the Army Air Corps Film Unit. JFK. Oh, no. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was the answer. That was good. Think I, Ronald Reagan was more popular than JFK? I think so. Polls have shown. Okay, all right. Uh, we need to look at that. By there, the way, there's plenty I don't know, so that could be. We'll have to take another look at that one. Uh, I no, I'm sure you're right about the that. answer to the question. I think one of the issues there is you have to understand that a lot of times people make those choices based on people they've experienced in their lifetimes. Yeah. So uh, that makes a difference. Um, this 1945, this uh, notorious place was liberated when Soviet troops entered this concentra- concentration camp, camp, if I can get it out here, in Poland. Which one was it? Do you remember 1945? I said, was Probably. it Dresden? Uh, no, it's actually Auschwitz. 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 Okay. Okay. I thought Auschwitz was too easy. 1967, we had three astronauts killed in a flash fire that hit the Apollo capsule. Very tragic accident there. 1970, this guy was in the Beatles, and he wrote and records a song called Instant Karma in one day. John Lennon. John Lennon is correct. Instant Karma going to get you. 1978, the Illinois Supreme Court okayed the use of this very, very, um, to some people, terrifying symbol in a planned march in the town of Skokie. The, the only group. terrifying symbol I know of is the swastika. It is the swastika, indeed. It was approved by the Illinois Supreme Court. Maybe terrifying Supreme Court. the word. Sickening. 1984 was the year this star, his hair caught fire during a filming of a Pepsi commercial. Well, I Who could would? say, uh, well, I, it's, it's Michael Jackson. It's Michael. Michael what were Jackson. you going to say? I, I, I could have said what I was going to say, but I decided not to. Okay. All right. <laughs> 1996. Do you remember this person who won the Australian Open after being stabbed on the court? Was it Federer? No, it was Monica Sellis. Oh, that's right. Okay. Monica Sellis. Happened to her in 1996. And 2017, we've seen the trend of this in this country as well. I think Michael Bloomberg tried to do the same thing. Uh, France banned the sale of refills. Well, actually banned free refills of sodas and sugary drinks at restaurants. The goal to try to fight obesity. So uh, the nanny state alive and well in France. Isn't that just wonderful? It's funny that that's where they think folks need guidance. <laughs> Must not have a lot of addiction issues or anything. Uh, tell me about it. I think there are other things going on, like fentanyl. Um, yeah. But if France is down to soft drinks as a problem, good for them. Congratulations, yep. right? You've, you've reached your full potential. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for the broadcast today. Thank you very much for joining us. Have yourselves a great weekend. Be safe out there. Lord willing, we're back again on Monday. Adios. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program.
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.